Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire's combo. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. And welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. And we have a very special guest with us today, Louis Vaz. He's a pianist, a composer, a painter, Renaissance man. He's collaborated with Mark Bedford, Chris Foreman, and Lee Thompson, and played with such luminaries as Terry Edwards and Rhoda Dakar. But before we talk to Louie, I guess we've got a little bit of work to catch up on. How about we do the communicator? So first up on the communicator, We've been informed by MIS that the website's advertising the 180 gram vinyl re-releases of Mad Not Mad and The Madness in October 2021 are premature. Our source at MIS tells us that BMG has licensed those releases for 2022 and they keep moving will actually be the next vinyl release. And I guess that kind of makes sense because the previous release on vinyl was The Rise and Fall so keep moving would be the next one in the chronology. And also in the communicator, our friend, supporter of Stateside Madness, Nick Woodgate, as the JoJo Man Band, they've got a new album. It's called O. Oh. It was released on September 9th. And if you would, please give a listen on Spotify or Bandcamp. Even better, purchase the album. And speaking of the Woodgates, Nick's brother, Woody. He was uh, noticeably absent from the band's performance at the Victorious Festival on Friday, August 27th. The band put out a statement that he had a uh, family matter to attend to. But we also noticed that he was missing from the Paralympics GB homecoming ceremony last weekend, Sunday, September 12th. Chris was missing from that show as well. We don't know exactly what's going on with Woody, but whatever's happening, Woody, we wish you well, and we hope to see you back with the band soon. Chris, what time is it? Showtime. Welcome, Louie. Thank you for joining us. Hiya. Good to, good to see you and meet you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. We kind of want to talk a little bit about uh, your musical career, um, not just the work that you've done with some of the members of Madness, but I mean, you've had quite a storied career, haven't you? How did you, how did you first how did come to music? Started? 
I had no intention of being a musician at all. The, the very thought of it frightened me to death. Um, I didn't want to perform. Uh, I didn't think I was that good a piano player. But um, I met a few people at, at university, Jim Riley, and finally we started a band called Hackney Five O. Um, so I carried on working. I was a stockkeeper at Lily White's. Don't know if you've heard of that. It's a sports shop in Piccadilly Circus in London. I'm a good stockkeeper, and uh, that was fine. And I had a, the kind of upbringing where there was. I didn't think you could do anything, like be a novelist, be anything. I thought you you got a job. Um, you went to the pub on a Friday night. You probably spent half your wages by Monday. Got a sub. Um, you just worked. You, you know, you had a forty-hour job week and weren't paid very well, and had fun. <laughs> And so that was Saturday Night by Hackney Five-O, of course, featuring Louis Vaz. Um, which it was fine. I, I, was, I was having a good life as far as I was concerned. What kind of changed my life was through Hackney Five-O, uh, we were in a scene that included Mark Bedford, actually, through um, various... Uh, connections terry edwards went to the same university as me in norwich so i met him when we were 19 18 um and uh i was the higson's storyteller which was terry's uh charlie higson i don't know if you know him over in there but the fast show paul whitehouse charlie higson very famous comedy show here now um none of us had any apart from terry actually none of us really had any ambitions to be in show business we were doing completely different things at university but um uh i met mark around that time and madness as you know sort of didn't split up but sort of they'd been working flat out since 1978 so it was tour album tour album and i think they were just knackered and things were getting a bit friction and it became the madness and um, I think Mark, you know, was feeling, I want to do something else. And he and Terry um, had met as well and formed Butterfield 8, which was a kind of jazz-ish, jazz, but three-minute take on jazz, nothing more than three minutes long. 
and they asked me to be in it and I was sort of well, why me and I actually ended up writing three of the I think three songs on the album That was Gate Mouth by Butterfield 8, one of the songs written by Louis Vaz. Um, but Mark and Terry liked the way I played, presumably. But I still regarded myself as a complete amateur. And they got people in from Elvis Costello, you know, all kinds of fantastic musicians. And I was going, there was two, three other keyboard players. I said, what am I doing here, you know? Um, but Mark, I thanked Mark actually a year and a half ago at a party and he said what are you thanking me for i said well you saw something in me that i just didn't see so thank you you know and he went well that's what we do musicians we help each other which was lovely and mark's a very generous kind of guy like that and um after doing that album i, I started to wonder well perhaps i don't perhaps i've got some, perhaps i should try and work on this so in about 1989 I left my job and decided to pursue the piano like a job. Um, eight hours a day, eight o'clock in the morning, tea break at 10, a lunch at, at 12, um, and a key a week. There's 12 keys, a 12-week cycle, and then start again, which I did for six months. So it's a 40-hour week on the piano. It's the hardest work I've ever done because some of it's pretty boring. You know, you know, every single thing I could think of in that particular key. I didn't do anything but exercises and scales and arpeggios until lunchtime, and then I allowed myself after lunch. So I treated it like a job, absolutely. And um, after six months, I just couldn't afford to do it anymore. But it changed my life. Um, and I started playing with uh, Dave Graney and the Coral Snakes, who became the king of pop in Australia. But he was in London at the time. He's quite a, he was quite a, with Nick Cave. Do you know Nick Cave? People like that. Dave Graney came from that stable, um, in the church, all those people in the 80s in Australia.
was World Full of Daughters by Dave Graney with the Coral Snakes. Uh, interesting song, interesting concept. I got to say with one teenage daughter, the idea of a world full of daughters is absolutely terrifying. And that's when I got a call. Mark obviously knew Chris, them both being in madness. Now I was on the way back from recording Dave Graney's album um, at a studio in South London at eight in the morning. We've been recording all night. And I was told to ring this number and I rang it from, was it London Bridge Station? It was Chris, Chris Foreman. And um, I knew it was, wow, what does Chris want to talk to me about? I've never met him. Um, and I picked up the phone. I only had 10 pence. <laughs> Put it in the phone. Hello, hello, is that Chris? He said, yeah. I said, it's Louis here. I've only got 10 pence. Um, so you're, you're going to have to ring me back. I'm at London Bridge Station. <laughs> And he went, oh, God's sake, uh, did his usual Chris moaning. <laughs> oh, you're one of them. Oh, God. And uh, so he rang me back, thankfully. And um, he said, no, no, I'm, me and Lee, you know, Lee. And I said, yeah, Lee Thompson. I've, I've not met him. He said, uh, I, Mark tells me you've got very quick ears, you know, and we're looking for a keyboard player for this band we're putting together. I went, yeah. He said, yeah, I suppose I have, you know. And uh, he said, how tall are you? I said, five foot eight. He said, you're hired. Um, <laughs> and I assumed from that, uh, Lee and Chris are, I think, the smallest members of Madness, about five foot eight. Um, I hope they're not annoyed at me telling you that. But um, uh, but I don't, I've never known whether that's a joke or not. But yeah, he said, I'm hired. So I was hired on London Bridge. I went, oh, all right, OK. And we met at um, their recording studio. Um, up in Caledonian Road. And so again, my life changed sort of overnight. So I was in um, Hackney 5 Dave Graney and the Coral Snakes, Butterfield Day, and now the Nutty Boys. Always you hands up, points at you. Always you hands up, points The innocent to blame Guardians of the Islamic Revolution Take aim was Always the Innocent by Crunch, who became the Nutty Boys. Or did the Nutty Boys become Crunch? I don't even know anymore. I'm so confused. 
and we rehearsed quite we didn't re i mean we did about three or four rehearsals i don't remember us rehearsing very much so the first gig was quite frightening for everyone actually and it was at bristol i don't know how much of this story you know tell me if i'm boring you um because um you know the on, on bass was tad they'd got a, a saxophone player in you know to give lee chance to to speak the first saxophone player i never met because apparently he couldn't get the offbeat and chris went, oh god you know um and that's quite bad if you're playing ska or reggae as you know it's it's on the offbeat <laughs> and he kept going one two three four ba 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 no one two three four it's on the and it's on the and and chris described and tried to get him to go on the and and he just go on the one two three no go between the numbers all right one uh, uh. Oh, you know so he had to go <laughs> and we got in sexy steve we all had nicknames i was uh diamond legs louis due to my unique dancing lee came out with these nicknames uh uh sexy steve just because he was a, and he was about six foot so they'd broken their rule on that. They had to get someone who could play offbeat on saxophone. So Sexy Steve was uh, all right. He was too tall, but uh, he could play. And he was probably quite good looking. Um, Hong Kong, uh, Seamus Bean, who was in Madness um, replacing Mike uh, for a short time. Not replacing, they had two, actually Seamus Bean and what's his name, Disley, Terry Disley. So they had two keyboard players to, to replace the great um, uh, Mike Barson. And um, so that's when I met, and Seamus was also in Butterfield 8. So that's when I met Seamus. And we've done since A Beginner's Guide to Boogie and Blues Piano, which is available to this day on DVD. If any of your listeners want it, you'll find it on my website, louisbors.co.uk. Um, and that went really well because me and Seamus decided, well, I decided, Seamus doesn't teach, I teach, that we've got to make it visually exciting because most of these tuition videos are deadly you know you get someone going oh hi and it's someone at a piano and i had all these ideas about visualizing rhythm and 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 using a skull to show you the brain and how to separate the brain and and you know so you've got hand separation all of this but seamus is very good we've got a kind of we work well on screen together because he just takes the piss out of me um um yeah not in an overt way but he's just you know, I'd say something like, and that, Seamus hasn't got any hair, um, which you'll see, he's, he's always been clean shaven. And, um, you know, I say things on the video, DVD, like, uh, you know, I really like that, that, you know, this rhythm's a bit like bald head, Professor Longhair, and you just go, watch it, and things like that, um, which I didn't, oh, well, sorry, Seamus, etc. So anyway, um, Nutty Boys, it, it was supposed to be called Crunch, but Lee is. Uh, uh, have you interviewed Lee? Uh, we did interview Chris, but we didn't interview Lee. No. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Lee's a bit sort of. How shall I put it? Scatty. We were called, supposed to be called Crunch, and somehow we ended up being called Nutty Boys, and then trying to change the name halfway through after we'd done TV. You know, and it was always uh, what are we anyway? And Nutty Boys is a nickname for madness in any case. So there was a lot of confusion. Um, but, um, and we went off on tour, toured Ireland, toured Europe. Um, 
and it was a an incredible experience because um lee and chris are a really good partnership they're they're good friends they're, they're mates from you know childhood and you can feel that with them they can also have the most incredibly horrible fights if they disagree because they go back a long way <laughs> i remember a fight on stage in paris which has gone down in sort of band law uh, where me and spider on drums carried on playing well a pile of body with chris trying to hit lee with his guitar because lee had tried to climb a mic lead and snapped the lead and all of this because lee gets up to a lot of climbing shenanigans and chris had just had enough and it, it's um it was a gory sight but uh, me and somehow we carried on um and um and somehow the band didn't separate i mean these things happen uh with people in close proximity for years on end you know you piss each other off sometimes i don't get to go out much these days i'm living in constant fear of attack from my own ways i'm running it alone on greenback well i don't like it and when people get close up it's a common fact i am saving for Suggestive digestive some PG remedies. But we know what you're after. My phobia is cracking. I am saving for a rainy day. And I'll be snug as a buttercup. Judgment day. I am saving for a rainy day. And I'll be snug as a buttercup. Judgment day. So that was Saving for a Rainy Day by the Naughty Boys or Crunch. I don't even know. And it is off a bootleg album called Spotter's Revenge. So um, so that went on the first two or three. And then Madness got back together, Madstock. And they, weren't, they were completely surprised by that. Um, by the, you know, they got Morrissey, was it? Ian Jury. They didn't think they'd be able to attract anyone. And I was there. And there was an earthquake. Everyone was dancing. Everyone knew the words from beginning to end. Um, but there's an earthquake because everyone was bouncing at the same time to our house, I think. Uh, well, to everything. And um, people's crockery in Finsbury Park started to fall off and people were reporting an earthquake. This is absolutely true. Um, and Madness were really quite moved. I mean, there were tears backstage. God, they really like us. You know, they've got all these other bands to try and you know, no one's going to come. Um, how wrong can you be? Um, and um, that was a staggering day uh, for everyone, really. Um, I was kind of backstage briefly. And, you know, beforehand, everyone was really nervous. You know, God, is this going to be any good? You know, uh, because they hadn't been together for a, a few years by that time. Um, it was a complete triumph. It's one of the big triumphs I've ever witnessed. They did another, and and at some point Mike came back, um, and uh, well, the rest is is kind of history. They are now an institution. The Olympics, uh, Buckingham Palace roof. The big joke about the roof, of course, is Lee was brought up in a kind of 
background um, in which, <laughs> you know, his dad was a naughty boy. Lee was a naughty boy. And um, I think his dad had always advised that if you're on a roof, son, don't forget the lead. And, and they were playing on the roof of Buckingham Palace. So he did, he did, he didn't take the lead off um, Buckingham Palace roof. That's fine. Well done, Lee. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but um, they are now one of these institutions that the UK throws up occasionally, um, but are more than a band. Uh, it has to be said, they've done 10 years of how this is the final one house of fun at Minehead, And, um, I've only played with the whole band once. Uh, I don't know if you know the Cronenberg advert. And I, Chris, it was a Chris again. We need an accordion player, Lou. What do you do? And um, um, and so I said, yeah, you know. And uh, it was only in the studio when I realised playing the accordion on the um, French version of Baggy Trousers, uh, Pantalon, um, what was it, Pantalon, Grand Pantalon. Um, that I looked around and went, "There's Mike. There, we're all. This is the, this is the Magnificent Seven, and I'm the eight. And that's an extraordinary feeling for anyone. That's not happened to many people. Um, you know, it's like being the fifth me member of the Beatles or something. Naughty boys in nasty schools. Headmasters breaking all the rules. Having fun and playing fools." Smashing up the woodwork tools All the teachers in the pub Passing round the ready rub Trying not to think of when The lunchtime bell will ring again The Grand Pantalon by Madness with Louis Vaz on accordion. You know, uh, that was a really lovely, and we went over to film that in uh, Prague, which was cheaper than going to Paris. So you could build a whole set, make it look like Paris and Prague at a far cheaper price than Paris. Paris knows its price. And did that there. And and Chrissy rang me up when he saw it and said, oh, it's a Louis Vaz show, because um, I'm actually on there quite a lot. <laughs> Um, and uh, occasionally the Crunch have got together, although we haven't for years now. Butterfield 8 haven't. So I think we're kind of good friends. Um, and I will do something or other with occasionally Lee. Or Chris rang me about two months ago, go, Lou, I've written this beginning bit, but I can't, you know, can you join this chord to that? you know or something or other and chris has always has also asked me in the past because he's not a trained musician he's a great a great guitarist and he's a great songwriter writes a lot of his songs on the piano but he, he'll often get on to me and go look 
blue. Could you give me the, what are these chords? Because all I'm doing is moving two fingers down, but I don't know what they are. I go, oh, Chris, that's an E flat minor seven, E flat minor. Oh, you've gone to a A flat diminished. Oh, that sounds good. Um, <laughs> so that he can teach the rest of the band. Um, you know, so, um, which brings me briefly to the Beatles. I'll just slip this in. I, I had to teach someone who was apparently at the head of handmade films, no names. I'd done an interview with Jay Rayner about the Boogie and Blues video, um, who was writing for The Guardian, a, a big newspaper here. And he's his, he, he called my method of teaching revolutionary. And the opening of, of his review said, Louis Bors didn't intend to be a revolutionary, which is a great opening to, and basically I, I just think the only thing revolutionary, I think, and I don't think it's revolutionary, is that we don't learn to speak English by reading and writing. We learn to speak by listening and talking. Why on earth do we learn piano by reading and, you know, why don't you just get straight into playing and then teach reading a year or two later? Once you know what all the notes are and have the hand, you know, and some skill on that. Um, also, reading precludes improvisation. Uh, all the classical composers improvise. Um, very few classical musicians can improvise. So it just cuts out that part of the brain and it's it's impossible in my experience to get it back. It's very damaging, in fact. So this is one of my big hobby horses. You should not learn to read first because you won't, you'll always need a piece of paper in front of you to play anything. Um, whereas if you're an ear trained person, oh, let's play happy birthday. Someone who's reading will say well have you got the music they cannot play happy birthday without the music which is a scandal uh, anyway um i got this call and jay rayner rang me and said we've had a call you're going to be picked up by a chauffeur at reading station i went okay so i went to reading station which is about 50 miles outside london there's a chauffeur with louis bores on still didn't know who i was going to teach or who i was going to meet we drove through lovely countryside, ended up outside these golden gates, uh, Friar Park, went through the golden gates, through gorgeous grounds, um, up to this massive sort of folly monastery type place. And the, and the taxi driver said, I'll, I'll be back to pick you up and left me outside with my Sainsbury bag and my hat. And then the door opened um, and someone said, Louis, and it was Olivia. Um, who I didn't know, and Olivia said, come in, come in. And it was the most extraordinary place, um, sort of monks' heads as light switches and carved. I mean, just gothic, beautiful. And I, said, she said, are you okay? Do you want to sit down? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. And um, then to my right, coming out of a, an area, there was um, an open fire, staircase, you know, wood, uh, and s someone approached me to my right, and it was George Harrison. And he said, I said, he said, hiya, and held out his hand, and I shook his hand, and, and he's, I said, have you got any tea? He said, I was just going to ask you if you took milk <laughs> or any sugar. I said, no. <laughs> and we started to chat, and George was fabulous in that he knew the extent of his fame he knew how to relax you 
So we sat at this great big table and Danny, his son, was halfway up the stairs looking at me and Olivia, his wife, and we sat together. And he said, I, I need to tell you that in the Beatles, I, you know, I can't play piano at all. It'd be nice if Danny could play a bit better than me. Uh, you know, my biggest hit, uh, I'm trying to do George Harrison's accent. It's probably nothing like it. Sorry. Uh, but uh, my biggest hit, something, you know that? And I went, uh, yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> I've heard that one. <laughs> he said, I just moved my thumb down one note at a time. I was messing around at Abbey Road. Um, and if you, shall I demonstrate? Uh, this is how George Harrison worked out something. Here's a C chord. Move the thumb down one note. Move the thumb down one note. And then, and then the middle bit, A minor. Thumb down, thumb down, thumb down. That's how he wrote what Frank Sinatra called the finest love song of the 20th century, <laughs> which is uh, quite funny. Um, and uh, then he just, so I was introduced to Danny, who was about 16 um, and had a long strand of hair down the middle, being the rebel. And uh, George, at one point during one of my many visits there, said, and get your hair cut. Can you imagine a beetle mop top telling his son to get this hair cut? I had to hide my mouth. Um, we were talking one day about Hoagie Carmichael, great American songwriter. I'm going to get off this subject in a second, don't worry. Um, and um, I said, oh, those melodies, washboard blues. And I started singing, down to the river, going down to the river someday. And George said, I worked that out on the ukulele the other day. And he picked up the ukulele. And halfway through us singing it, I said, my God, I'm singing with a beetle. Um, so, uh, so that all stemmed basically from Mark. You know, Mark Bedford, you know, getting me into that uh, with Terry to Butterfield Day. Then, then Lee and Chris, then me and Seamus, then the DVD. One thing knocks into another in, in any business, I think. And if we examine our, most of our lives, we go, wow, if I hadn't met him, that wouldn't have happened. Or if I hadn't met her, or if I hadn't met her I wouldn't be married. Or my daughter wouldn't exist or something. If we, if we all look at our life, there's, there's an element of chance that's quite frightening if you think about it. You know, if that hadn't happened, then it's, it's worth not even thinking about that. Um, because I'm sure everyone listening now has got, oh, yeah, that's true. If I, I wasn't going to go to that party, but if I hadn't gone, then I wouldn't have met, blah, 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 etc. So, um, yes, it, it, it kind of went from Lily White's being a stockkeeper, or, well, university, meeting Terry, meet, being in a band against my will, etc 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 I never had any ambitions to do any of this how has this happened
So that was Comfort Zone by Rhoda Dakar off the album, The Low Tech 4 Volume 2. And there's just nothing wrong with that song. It's flawless. Rhoda Dakar, she's just flawless. So, you know, Rhoda is obviously part of the, the scene. Seamus was doing her, but then he had to go to Enduring the Blockheads or something. So I took his place in that and so on. It's a it's a kind of lovely supportive family, what I'd call probably the centre of it. Well, there's about three centres. There's the comedian family. You know, it's quite a lot of comedians I know through Charlie and Paul, which links, if you imagine a big circle, this circle overlaps with the madness circle, which overlaps with, you know, my teaching circle and so on. And things just happen amongst us. And it's an incredibly supportive close given that we're all in our 50s stroke 60s we've never ever lost touch none of us but there's about 60 of us who are you know for instance we did um last well the autumn before lockdown uh clive langer um the producer rang me and asked me look i've got to do german you know cabaret type thing liza minnelli and i can't you know i'm tired of my death would you be the md and I went, yeah, we've got to play a gig at the Architectural Centre. I said, when? He said, next Thursday. Next Thursday. I went, next Thursday. <laughs> and so he hired, he got in Suggs, Mark, me as MD, um, drummer from Clive's band. Um, who else was in it? Oh, um, oh, God, some, oh, Suggs's wife from Deaf School, who I used to go to see when I was at school. You know, when I was 16, she was, I met Anne then. She was on the stage um, in deaf school. Do you know deaf school? Yeah. Uh, we, you know, Roxy Music Deaf School, pre-punk, Roxy Music Deaf School, Stevie Wonder. You know, we all liked all of that stuff. Um, and and then punk came along and changed changed everything, actually. The Ramones, America, Talking Heads uh, over here, uh, the Sex Pistols. And suddenly you felt, wow, this is new. You don't have to be a Rick Waitman type of grade eight piano player to do something, you know. And that changed the world, the music world. It was dinosaur central. Uh, I'm nothing against prog particularly, but you didn't feel you could do it. Um, so um, this is where all of this came from. This is where madness came from. Um, and um, for instance, and Rhoda you know, with uh, the body snatchers and everyone else you've ever heard of. That year was extraordinary, 77, 78, 79, those three years. Um, Paul Weller, the Jap, you know, everyone. Um, so uh, where did I get onto that? <laughs> Sorry, sometimes oh. lose my trail. No, that's okay. Uh, question, MD stands for, what's that stand for? Oh, musical director. I had to write the string lines and that was a huge success. Um, but really nerve-wracking doing a Weimar Republic German cabaret type thing. Nothing like anything we'd ever done. Um, and uh, in three days, flat, a whole set of songs. Rhoda was involved on vocals doing uh, Money, Money. Uh, no, no, the Money one from Cabaret. And Cabaret, Cabaret, and so on. It was all that stuff. Um, and... Uh, so yeah, the, the point of that was we still get involved with each other in various different guises to do various different things because we think, oh, he could be, he could do that, she could do that, 
um, and and then we do it depending on what needs to be done so um, unfortunately covid has sort of stopped everyone in their tracks but um, i fully expect you know we will all we all carry on living we all carry on doing things we've got lee thompson scar orchestra now this was um this was lee and mark again and me and seamus were involved seamus on organ me on piano and we've done so much work together that me and seamus know what we're going to do i know what seamus is going to do and he knows what i'm going to do so we're like that just naturally uh I know you're on the radio podcast. Imagine my fingers going together and locking. We are like that uh, on, on the piano and the organ. Um, and that band was pretty big, a full, full horn section, um, two guitarists in the end, bass, uh, done two albums. And that was, that was for fun to begin with that was let's make some money we can all do this we like the music we'll do a load of covers and we'll get some gigs and we'll make some money great um and what shall we call it well it ended up being called the lee thompson scar orchestra because we couldn't think of anything else <laughs> Impossible by the Lee Thompson Scott Orchestra off their first album, The Benevolence of Sister Mary Ignatius. And that was, that's now kind of stopped, I think. Um, these things tend to dribble out uh, after we've done what we intend to do. And there was a bit of kind of, oh, I don't know, a bit of um, falling apart, really. Uh, but a lot of bands do that without necessarily falling out, if you see what I mean. It's just like, I don't, don't think we should be doing this or whatever. Um, and uh, Robbo sort of produced the last album, but we, we didn't like what he'd done. And there was a big sort of argument about that in the mixing. Uh, me, Mark, Seamus, Lee. Um, and Robbo had to give in in the end because we said, you're not. You're not releasing this because it's not what we want <laughs> and he wanted to you know make it into a pop album so very different ideas about what we wanted to do
and also by the Lee Thompson Scott Orchestra off the second album, Bite the Bullet. That last song was I'll Be Back. Sometimes Robbo is right, sometimes he's wrong. Where he's right is um, One Step Beyond, the very first Madness single. That was a one minute, one minute. Madness, no, you're not releasing that as a single, which is why it was one minute long. Robbo said, this is going to break you. This is going to be a hit. Listen to me, boys, please. And, it, and they went, no, no, we don't want that as the first single. This is what I've been told anyway. Um, so Robbo sort of cobbled together the one minute into two minutes and released it. The rest is history. <laughs> um, so, you know, kind of added a bit of fairy dust to make it sound like one performance. But, um, you know, in, in the creative things where you've got multiple people doing it, of course you're going to have arguments. Of course people, no, it sounds terrible. No, it sounds great. Um, you know, all right, that's it, I'm out, I'm out, you know, and then all right, back, etc., etc. Big arguments. Uh, Madness are no different. Lee Thompson Scar Orchestra, no different. Um, where's the money then, etc., etc. All of this kind of malarkey, as Seamus would call it. Um, so, but that was fabulous, fabulous experience working with, um, well, the first album, Mike Palanconi, um, who is one of my money, one of the best producers for acoustic instruments I've ever come across. Um, and uh, he's, oh God, uh, what's his nickname? Mike Palanconi, AKA, it'll come to me, God. Uh, my brain's a bit, after the hospital visit last week, my brain's a bit, frazzled but um uh yeah no lee thompson scar orchestra that was great um we've got two albums out of that and they're good i think i think they are they're fantastic actually uh i i, I would argue that uh, that's both of those albums are my top two for favorite um side projects of any that the band has done great great see on the second album, what robbo he, he sort of popped it up a bit. We just wanted to groove. If it wasn't grooving, it wasn't working. So we just, you know, threw Robbo out in the end of the mixing. Um, bless Robbo. Love you, Robbo, if you hear this ever. Um, but, um, you know, and we just focused on what's contributing to the groove in this. Yep, certainly the drums, certainly the bass. The highlighting, oh, there's a tambourine there. That's really good. Bring that up, etc. It had to be danceable and it, that's all that mattered none of this kind of let's make it into a pop song stuff um so um yeah I, we were pleased with it. i'm really glad you 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 like those albums because um so once we'd warmed up in the studio these were live takes we're not talking right let's put the bass and drums down right yeah you go in with the guitar right you go in with the yeah let's do some there was a bit of overdubs but certainly the first album, a lot of it was the whole band minus horns in, that was good, let's leave it, that's it. So old style, playing live. Um, and I think it, you feel it. We'd even leave the odd little mistake in because, you know, why not? Um, you know, trying to correct mistakes um, would possibly ruin it all, you know. So... Um, yeah, I'm glad you, you like those. Yeah, good. So, and 
my favorite of the side projects was was Crunch, the Nutty Boys. But I love Lee Thompson Sky Orchestra too. As a matter of fact, I think I have a I have a signed LP from Lee oh. for, for that one. So I do have a, a question about your teaching because yeah. I know that that's been a big part of your career. Did I hear that you had taught Suggs at some point? Suggs's daughter. I taught Carl a little bit, gave him three lessons, but then something happened. I, I think he lost, I've no idea what happened there, but sometimes, you know, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Um, and he'd, he, oh yes, I've recorded with Carl as well. And yet another Velvet Ghost was it. Waking up on a beauty street I'm dog tired and my body's beat You tell me that I'm only sleeping But you don't know about what I'm dreaming This pleasant evening Whoa, I'm flying over Whoa, the white cliffs are over That was a song called Boodley Street by The Velvet Ghost, featuring Carl Smith and Louis Vaz on piano. Um, which uh, he didn't release for some reason, but Carl's a bit like that. You know, he's a bit kind of, imagine hands flitting around, that's um, for your listeners. Um, and that was sounding good as well with Dave Ruffy on drums, uh, who was the, um, the Ruts drummer and everyone else's drummer as well. Um, so, um, yeah, I I taught Suggs's daughter, not Suggs himself, Carl I've taught. Um, and I think that's it with, I've had a long conversation with Mike about piano because um, I rate Mike highly. Um, not, not particularly as a, a fantastic all over the place, uh, virtuoso piano player but his songwriting is peerless and his piano playing you know for what it is is fantastic you know really good um and uh without without mike we wouldn't have half we would i don't think my madness would ever have come into being him and chris and um and chris was late to the party as a musician as well he didn't take he wasn't playing guitar from the age of 12 really um but Mike was, he, he sort of plugged away. Um, and uh, I, I've got a lot of time for his piano playing. Yeah, no, I, it was Suggs' daughter, Diva. Do you happen to follow uh, Danny Harrison anymore? A bit, yeah. Sometimes, look, uh, I haven't spoken to him really since, um, uh, since we actually, for about two years, I went there once every month or once every two months. And, um, uh, yeah, we really got on. It was really strange, actually. He he saw me as not a parent. You know, his parents were his parents. It doesn't matter who the beat. He once said to me, "Yeah, my dad, all his mates, Bob Dylan, all that lot. You know, rubbish. I really like whatever he liked that's contemporary with him. All that Stone Rolling Stones crap that my dad likes is rubbish, um, because they're all coming round, of course, doing um, what they were doing, which was." Um, George's um, uh, 
oh god what's his name well bob dylan and all that lot um they were doing the uh, traveling wilburys etc but danny thought that was risable rubbish um and uh the beatles he never talked about but you know my dad's friends you know um and so it was quite funny seeing that the rebel of the rebel if you see what i mean but george was delightful and um so danny i haven't talked to it'd be lovely to talk to him again we just lost touch and i had to take over bringing up my daughter um full time so i had to stop teaching and just move completely out of the arena for a while to bring my daughter up in um year 2000 or so so um i was off the scene for a while because i concentrated well i was still doing music but um somehow we lost touch you must have had quite the influence on uh, uh danny harrison because um his sound is is very piano and keyboard driven at this point ah well, i must listen to it like you know I'm terrible at hearing music because it's like busman's holiday. You know, I, I make music, so I kind of relax by either listening to classical or going to films or doing anything but music, if you see what I mean. And I really feel ashamed about that because I see fans of music who go, have you heard this? Have you heard that? And I'm going, no, no. You know, I'm, at least I've heard of Kendrick Lamar because my daughter play, played him and, and he's good. You know, I, I say, who's that? Uh, but I'm terrible at listening to music because it's my job. So yeah, I'll make an effort and try and listen. I mean, I mean, he he liked what we were doing. We had a good time. And then I just think he was moving on. He was 16, 17, um, moving on to do other things. And I know a drum kit was delivered. You know, he's playing everything. He's talented, very good. He has the feel. Been surrounded by music all his life. And I think if you are surrounded by music all your life, you're musical. It, it, that's the way it works. Um, you're sometimes musical, even if you haven't been, but it, it really helps because it, it lines up things in your brain that are receptive to music and to learning it. You, you recognize sounds, you recognize major and minor modes. So yeah, he certainly had it back then, you know, as a beginner. Um, so yeah. So what have you been working on lately, Louis? Uh, well, I did this because we were locked down. I, I've always kept a sketchbook diary and I started to, I could only go out because uh, 10 years ago I got cancer of the liver and uh, I was given two years to live. And they said, um, well, your only chance really is if you do are lucky enough to get a liver transplant, shall I put you on the waiting list? And I went, yeah, yeah, no, that'd be good. And um, I was uh, on the waiting list for a day, which was extraordinary. I'm really lucky. Um, and uh, quite a lot of these surgeons are on the spectrum, kind of semi-autistic. And I had a surgeon who was the, the most brilliant liver surgeon. But he, he was also, someone had told him to smile if he mentioned the word death. So he'd be explaining to, and he was also from Central Europe, so it made him sound like Count Dracula. So he'd say, well, you know, the problem with, um, uh, is many people die on the waiting list. Big, broad smile, and then disappear smile. Uh, and, uh, but hopefully you, you won't die. Big, broad smile. And then, you know, it was quite disconcerting. <laughs> but um, yes, I, I had a liver transplant. Um, 
So I'm shielding. I'm on immunosuppressants. So I couldn't go out at all last year. So I went out at five in the morning to cycle around, which is the only safe time, and took photographs of London in lockdown and then got home and painted them. And in my mind, I was outside. So it was for my mental health. I felt I was outside while painting them. And one thing led to another, and I did a calendar and it sold out, lockdown London, and people started buying limited edition prints, which was extraordinary. I've, you know, yet another kind of, if it hadn't been for lockdown, I wouldn't realize that even anyone would like my art. You know what I mean? So. I'm continuing to do that because it's still, COVID's still there, unfortunately. The government have announced that London Bridge is to be closed Under the full moon of May the 3rd All the lighthouses and seaside roads No, I never heard, I never read In the news Come on, tell me Who's this for? That was a cover of The Madness on Burning the Boats by Darren Fordham with Up For Itness, of course, featuring Louis Vaz on piano. And that's taken from the Mad Not Cancer tribute album. I'm, I'm always writing things on the piano. And in fact, wrote, put that, that post I put on Facebook. I only put that on because I got back from the hospital, sat at the piano, and that's what came out of my fingers. It's not rehearsed. It's not worked on. It's just something that wrote itself. And it seemed to express how I felt, a sort of weary, sort of hopefully a little optimistic, bluesy feel. Um, it's not, you know, so I just thought I haven't corrected it. I haven't done anything with it. I've just put it out there um, to reassure people that I'm kind of OK. That's if people are interested at all. <laughs> composition of Louis called Home Once Again, which he created and posted to his personal Facebook page when he returned from a recent hospitalization. It's an unreleased song, and Louis emphasizes it's also unfinished, but he's kindly given us permission to share it with you. And um, so, yes, I, I'm still playing. Um, and, you know, uh, writing a memoir, who knows what will happen with that. Um, and I'm, I'm really busy, actually, you know, even though I'm, I'm sort of trapped here much of the time um, and hopefully things will open out again. Uh, and 
you know, we can re-engage with the world again. But I'm not alone in that, and I'm in a far better place than than quite a lot of people in this kind of eye-opening time. I do think uh, we have to listen to what the world is telling us. Uh, if you think about it, fire, you know, plague, um, flood, does sound a bit biblical, um, and um, it, we, we've it's the humans that have done this and we have to kind of stop thinking politically i mean all the decisions are political we have to get away from that now because i think it's too late myself uh, we can't stop this we've got to deal with it uh, we've got to kind of try and you know the ice is melting we're going to be getting new york sort of flooding like that unprecedented uh, the storm in New Orleans and Louisiana, unprecedented. The fires in California and Australia, unprecedented. Germany, un you know, this is happening and it's really serious and it's going to get worse. Um, so uh, basically the presidents and the politicians and the prime ministers have to stop going 50%, 40%, being really pleased with themselves. They've got to start doing something and stop mouthing. Really, I'm... I'm you know, disgraceful kind of flannel. I think it's important to say that. Now, we always like to close our episodes with a song. Uh, is there a song of yours that you'd like us to play at the end of the episode that you think would really be uh, like a cool closing or something? Or <laughs> It's a bit of a joke, this, but I wrote The Long Goodbye, which is from my album um, uh, Midnight in Havana, um, that version of it. I asked the horn section to sound a bit drunk. I wrote that for my own funeral uh, because I wrote it around the time I was diagnosed with liver cancer and thought, okay, I'll write. And it's kind of a, a New Orleans-y funeral march, sort of. Um, uh, so the version that would be nice to hear would be the full uh, band version from Midnight in Havana, uh, The Long Goodbye. But let's not hope it's we're coming to that. It turned out not to be needed yet. <laughs> At my funeral. <laughs> many, many more years of uh, of music ahead of you. I'm certain. Absolutely. Right. So um, yes, that would be nice. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for for meeting with us and for talking. And uh, I, I'm sure our listeners are going to love this episode. This is going to be fantastic. Well, I, I I hope I've done all right. Yes. Thank you. Do you want to give a, a, a plug for your website or uh, anything? Uh, or I'm, put, I'm in the process of putting my back catalogue up on Bandcamp. I suppose at the moment, louisvors.co.uk, Louis Bandcamp. Um, my, my, my website's probably the best thing, um, and you'll see everything on there. Art, music, whatever else I'm doing um, um, is, up, is up on there. Like I said, you're a renaissance man. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing to me that you can do both uh music and and visual art so well so it's part of the brain i think it's all creative i really think you know a lot of a lot of musicians retire and do art it's not unusual oh. um i don't right. think anyway but i don't think i'm anything special is what i'm saying well we'll leave you we'll leave you to the rest of your evening but thank you again so much this has been so cool all right many thanks all right all right Bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye. -bye. All right. Wow, that was amazing. Don't you think, Polly? 
In fact, it was. It's it's uh, so interesting to talk with somebody that is uh, so well connected and you know so talented as well. I didn't realize all the interconnections between this group of players. You know, it, it, there's the, the kind of relationship that all of these people have. And I guess that explains why everyone keeps popping up in each other's projects. Yes, that it does. It definitely shows that there's a community, uh, you know, tight knit group of folks that, uh, you know, all operate in the same circles, all know and like each other. And that seems very rare nowadays, doesn't it? That it does. I suppose that could come with maturity. Yeah. I hope Louis does write that memoir he's talking about. Oh, I would read that in a heartbeat. I know he's got tons more stories to tell. Louis, thank you again for coming to chat with us. I know our listeners will really appreciate it. In two weeks, we're going to be doing an album deep dive. What album are we reviewing, Polly? That would be... We, 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 All right, that'll be an interesting episode. I'm looking forward to that one. I am as well. All right. So on that note, thank you again for listening. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. Uh-huh.